Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. As always, we appreciate it. Here's what we'll be talking about today. Not only are we talking coronavirus, but uh, what's happening with the oil industry and that price plunge. We're going to talk with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin about that and how it impacts biofuels. And is this going to hurt ethanol demand in the long run or not? We'll talk about that. Speaking of ethanol and the administration's decision to ask for a delay on the decision on small refinery exemptions, they've been granted a two-week delay. We'll talk about that with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Also joining us today will be the new president of the National Farmers Union, Rob LaRue. He'll join us to talk about the goals this coming year for the National Farmers Union, what he sees as the challenges facing agriculture. That's coming up a little bit later on. But we'll start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, good to talk with you again. It's just amazing how many areas of our lives are being impacted by the coronavirus. And part of it now, we're looking at, you know, the antibiotics that, will be needed to not only deal with this, but other diseases. Many of those antibiotics, as loyal as, of course, as we know, a lot of other products actually coming from China, the country where this started at. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be with you, Mike. Um, yeah, you know, I think as we as we watch this thing play out, um, as you know, we talk a lot about trade with China and uh, a lot of the ongoing issues there with the Phase 1 agreement. Uh, clearly, this has put that um, in a bit of question and I, you know, it's interesting. There's never, uh, there's never a dull moment when it comes to China. You know, we, we thought throughout all of last year and the year before, you know, that perhaps, you know, from time to time, you know, we'd have reports come out about, uh, you know, there might be an agreement sooner than later. Then there's delays and there's all kinds of drama with that. Um, and then to see the coronavirus come in at this moment in time and history, uh, it's really kind, uh, quite stunning. Um, you know, I, I think uh, as, as we move on in this thing, I, I think the biggest thing is it's probably pretty important for people to have a little perspective on this and keep calm and uh, just go about their business. But I, but I do think that, uh, you know, the way China has, has uh, responded to that virus, which is still there's a bit of mystery behind all of it, um, it, it really does make you wonder about the future of that phase one trade agreement and, and what's going to come of that. You know, we're hearing lots of talk about uh, delays in that getting off the ground and uh, so yeah it's a lot of uh, a lot of pressure going on right now and hopefully we'll see this uh, at least have it calm down at some point here in the next month or two time will tell but i wonder when it is contained and we move on is it back to business as usual or do we take a closer look at our dependence on other countries like china for many of the products that we need, uh, will there maybe be a shift to try to get that production back into the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, this is a prime a prime example of what can happen when, when you rely on one nation or another uh, for for large segment of imports and, and things that we that we use here in America. I, I do think that it, you know, it definitely gets you to thinking, and I, and I think... Uh, you know, perhaps after this, uh, policymakers will get really serious about some of these issues. You know, whether we start production of the things and the goods we need here in this country that we're not 
that, that we're currently, I guess, getting from China or whether we, uh, you know, look to other countries. It's, it's just an interesting time. And I think, you know, it comes at a time when we're looking for more trade opportunities and, and uh, perhaps this is going to open up the door um, <clears throat> for other agreements with other countries. Meanwhile, we look at the issue with the small refinery exemptions and the administration asking for a delay in having, mm-hmm. you know, to to make their decision on what they're going to do at EPA, and they've been granted the two-week delay. Uh, yesterday, Secretary, uh, Senator Grassley said he tried to look at this as a positive. Maybe in this two weeks, the administration will realize they need to uh, support that court decision and not appeal it. But many are really concerned in the biofuels industry that, that the administration is eventually going to appeal that decision. So this is really, here we are again at a real crossroads time and where we're going to go forward on this issue. Yeah, certainly. And I, I do think that it is a good sign that, that the administration asked for a two-week delay. Um, I don't know how much can change in those two weeks. Uh, you know, maybe it's the DA, DOJ, uh, you know, working on the actual appeal, getting it ready, or perhaps the administration's having second guess, you know, second thoughts about this. And uh, I think to some degree, it's a really important, important political issue for the president. You know, we talked a lot about uh, both oil and indus- oil and ethanol industry support for the president. You know, he's got two very large constituencies on both sides. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to get this right either way to please one side or the other or both sides for that matter. Um, but I do think the delay is a good sign that perhaps, you know, the administration's caving on it a bit and, you know, it gives it, you know, a bit more time, uh, for the ethanol industry and other people, uh, to get to the president and, and see where this stands and maybe, uh, persuade him one way or the other. Yeah, I guess if you're the biofuels industry, and we'll talk about this later with Jeff Cooper, a two-week delay is better than an appeal announcement. The, you know, you don't want, they're not wanting an appeal, so it's better there. But it's hard to imagine that all of a sudden in this two-week period, they're going to come up with the answer or solution that they've been looking for for years now and haven't been able to, to right. come to some you know real decision on this. And so it's hard to imagine something dramatically is going to change here in two weeks. Uh, I, if I'm scheduling a meeting with the president on this, I want to be the last person in the room, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one other thing to keep in mind, I mean, only one-tenth of one percent of cases brought to the Tenth Circuit, you know, in a request for a, a full circuit hearing are granted. And so it's it's slim and none of getting that appeal, you know, heard. Uh, and maybe that's the other side of this, too, that the president's kind of weighing his political calculations here as to whether – um, you know, if there's not going to be an appeal accepted, more than likely, what does it matter either way? At least he looks, uh, it looks as if he's listening to the oil industry and, and taking it back to court. So posturing, you're right. There's a, there, right. It, it would seem that even if they do appeal it, uh, they're not going to win the appeal, but you never know. And it also, right. I think, just sends a bad signal to the biofuels industry. Now, maybe he can go to the oil industry and say, yeah. Uh, hey, look, I appealed it. I did what I could do. And he can say to the biofuels industry, hey, we, we didn't think it was we, we would win the appeal anyway. So maybe that's his way Absolutely. of uh, saying to both sides, uh, I did what I could. Yeah. And I and I think that, you know, to me, that would make the most sense because, I mean, you, you're right. You look at the issue and you look at the case that was re- resolved by the Tenth Circuit. Uh, they were quite adamant about the mistakes that EPA had made along the way. Um, and quite clearly, I, I agree. I think you know, getting an appeal, a successful appeal on this is probably quite a stretch. But, 
there again, stranger things have happened. Yeah, it's a, it's it may be a small chance, but I'm if you're the biofuels industry, you worry about that chance, uh, you know, going against you, and you, so you would worry about it. So you'd rather not have any appeal at all. But we'll see what happens. Time will tell. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right, you too, Mike. Thanks. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we'll look at uh, that situation with small refinery exemptions and what's happening in the oil industry, how that impacts ethanol. We'll talk with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin next on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots to talk about with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin, who joins us now. Scott, let's start with uh, what's happening in the oil market. How do you see that impacting the ethanol industry moving forward? Well, I think that uh, the markets had it about right yesterday, which was... um, uh, immediate impacts of the supply shock on crude oil being fairly minimal on the ethanol industry. Um, That's the way I see it. Historically, low gas prices, not good for for ethanol because you lose that uh, discount that the ethanol offers. And uh, so if we see a drop in prices at the pump, well, as consumers, we're happy about that. Uh, in the long run, that could be harmful to the ethanol industry. How do you see that margin playing out? I am not concerned about that because there's a couple things that you know offset that concern. Uh, first off, if the um, if ethanol continues to be competitive for its place in 10% ethanol blends, which I don't see any evidence yet that, that that's going to change. That means uh, all else equal, when the price of gasoline drops this much, that we're going to see an increase in gasoline use, which as long as ethanol uh, maintains its 10% share, the total amount of ethanol sh- that we're using should actually go up. Now, again, that can all be washed out because of the coronavirus, but we're just talking only about that uh, piece that is the what I call the supply shock in oil. Well, let's talk about the coronavirus impact. People staying home, not moving as much. Uh, fuel consumption had, had already been going down. This could have a, a further dampening of that market, couldn't it? Well, no, I think that, that the price drop is is good in terms of the quantity of gasoline and ethanol used uh, under all circumstances. Uh, it will increase the use. Now, the question is how much less driving and basically how much less driving might there be due to the coronavirus effects. That could be uh, much larger 
than the usage stimulation from these much higher prices. You know, yesterday I um, surveyed my students in my class and I asked them, you know, will you drive more if gas gets down to a buck seventy-five? And they all smiled and said, "Sure thing." <laughs> so, you know, that's just something we have to keep in mind. We have two things going on at the same time: one positive, one negative for ethanol. Yeah, the other interesting thing, and you know, hopefully we get this under control soon. Uh, what happens afterwards? Uh, do we go back to the way things were, or does this change some some fundamentals about uh, you know people staying home more, working from home more, or not driving as much? Uh, I don't know that we know the long term impacts yet. No, I think that you know we have clearly a a, a trend towards. Um, uh, less, you know, mileage compared to our uh, growing economy anyway. And this, you know, certainly could be a long-term negative. But, in you know, in the short run, the next year or two, uh, assuming, you know, we're going to avoid some kind of, you know, calamitous uh, epidemic with coronavirus as soon as we pass through this window, I think we just go right back to the economy the way it was. We're talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. All right, let's talk about the SRE battle, the small refinery exemptions to the RFS. And uh, now um, the administration's been granted a two-week delay in their decision on this. Uh some are now saying, and in fact, yesterday, Senator Grassley said he sees this as a positive. Better to have a delay than the administration announcing an appeal. Um, we were just talking about this in the last segment. Could this be uh, a way for the administration to appease both sides? If they wind up appealing it, they can say to the oil industry, hey, we did what we could to fight it. Knowing that the likelihood of the appeal being uh, upheld is slim, so then they could say to the biofuels industry, well, we appealed it, but we knew we weren't going to win that appeal anyway. So is that, do you see this as a way of uh, trying to appease both sides? Yes. You know, this is, uh, you know, President Trump continues to be stuck between the proverbial rock and a hard place on the RFS between these two battling parts of his uh, core supporters. Um, the key to me to watch, Mike, is um, what uh, would probably be the best case outcome from an ag from ag standpoint right now would be for the administration to appeal but put on hold all decisions on 2019 sres until uh the appeal decision comes down um what would be very negative to me is if they went ahead knowing that the appeal's not likely to be successful and then granted a whole bunch of sres in the meantime that would be, I think, a, 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 a signal that they're going to just find a way, regardless of what a court says, to uh, offer the SREs to the crude oil industry. Yeah, because they're on shaky ground here when they were using court decisions as their justification for granting SREs. Then how do you ignore this court decision uh, on future decisions? And that is the real legal um, quandary that they are in. They are kind of slowly but surely legally been backed into a real corner now. And, you know, sooner or later, um, the president is going to have to 
fall one way or the other on this issue. That's why you saw the proposal for the RIN price cap reemerge because they're running out of options. And what are your thoughts on that proposal to cap RIN prices? I mean, I wrote about it over a year ago. I, I think it's patently a violation of the RFS uh, legislation as Congress intended it. It's easy to say, you know, if you cap rent prices, that's the same thing as waiving the mandates. Uh, I mean, that's pretty easy to demonstrate with a basic supply and demand diagram. And so it's, it's, it's clearly a violation uh, in the sense that Congress did not give the EPA that kind of waiver authority that is implicit in a hard 10 cent price cap. And so that's why it bombed the first time. I think it's bombed a second time, but in their desperation, refiners may keep trying to push it. I get the feeling the president and the administration have kind of danced around this issue for four years now on these small refinery exemptions and feels like it's finally coming to a head. They are going to have to make a decision one way or another. Yeah, and I think that uh, they may be able to delay it until a, you know, an appeal is uh, made. Uh, but, you know, you know, I think that, that that will only last a few months. And then, then uh, they'll either get a favorable ruling. And if they don't, then they're really stuck. Mm-hmm. Before we let you go, let's let's switch to uh, planting time coming up in the Midwest and uh, uh, the debate over acres. What do you see happening as far we've seen these projections on number of corn acres, bean acres? How do you see it playing out? You know, I've just uh, I start from the idea that in 2018 we basically planted 89 million acres each of corn and soybeans, and that's my base. So. I tend to see, given the price ratios in the market, uh, more bean acres and less corn than some people are talking about. So I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe 92 million on corn and uh, 86, 87 million on soybeans. But man, I got to tell you, Mike, it's amazing how this streak of wet weather has continued in the eastern Corn Belt. We're getting it now, and we've got another week or 10 days of rain. I was just walking into the office talking to a friend and I said, it's so weird how similar this feels the last spring. His history says it shouldn't happen again, but right now it is. Yeah, we've avoided the uh, repeat of the polar vortex, but you're right. There's still a lot of wet conditions out there and uh, we'll see how that carries into spring. I would think good weather, good planting weather early might lead to more corn acres, but uh, the later we go, more bean acres. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's a tendency for that. I agree. Um, But, you know, we certainly don't have, you know, the market signal coming out of the futures market right now is basically equal incentives for planting corn and soybeans. And so maybe if you get a really good early spring, you'll get, that'll boost corn acres a bit. Um, but uh, we certainly need things to dry out here in Illinois. Yeah, it's wet right now. All right, Scott, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. More on the small refinery exemption issue next with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us on AOA.
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The lead-up to today's WASDE report from USDA has been overshadowed by coronavirus-related market turmoil. For the most part, very few changes expected to the current ending stocks estimates from USDA. The Ag Department reporting an export sale of U.S. soybeans for delivery to an unknown destination for the second straight day, this time for 123,000 metric tons. Yesterday's sales sparking some optimism that China may be finally returning to buying large quantities of U.S. soybeans. Livestock futures at the Merck rebounding on this Tuesday, correcting from the big losses seen in the wake of an oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia, as well as ongoing coronavirus concerns. An hour into the trading day, in corn futures, the May contract is up five and a quarter at 378. December, 380 and three quarters, up four and a half. May soybeans up 13 and a quarter at 883 and a quarter. November, 897 and three quarters, up 11 and a half. In the wheats, Chicago May down a penny at 517 and a quarter. Kansas City May down a fraction at 440 and a quarter. Minneapolis Spring Wheat May down three quarters of a cent at 519 and three quarters. Live cattle futures, April contract $3 higher at 105.85. June at $100.10 per hundredweight up $3. Feeder cattle, April up $4.22, 129.77. Cash cattle country said to be slow to start this morning following a very light trade in parts of the north yesterday. Dress deals at $175, $6 per hundred weight, lower than last week's weighted average basis in Nebraska. Lean hog futures, April up $2.35, 65.35. The Dow up 665 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back, and we welcome back Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, I think a week ago we were talking about anticipating good news that the administration would use that Tenth Circuit Court ruling as the blueprint going forward on small refinery exemptions. But I think we said, but you can't take it for granted because of what's happened in the past things have happened and sure enough here we are now in a holding pattern again at a two-week delay on that decision that's right mike it's been very frustrating and, and very disappointing all, all of the initial indications we were getting uh, suggested that epa would not be appealing the 10th circuit ruling and that they would uh, abide by the court's decision and, and correctly apply that decision nationally and that would have had the effect of, of, you know, essentially winding down the small refinery exemption and, and getting the uh, program and getting the RFS back on track. Uh, we hear, you know, late last week, uh, our, our old friend Senator Ted Cruz from Texas uh, personally intervened uh, again on behalf of, of a small handful of refineries. Um, and that threw this whole thing into turmoil. And now EPA is considering, strongly considering, uh, appealing the decision. Uh, they did just yesterday get approval from the court to take two more weeks to decide whether they want to appeal the decision or not. So uh, we are in a holding pattern, uh, very disappointed, very frustrated by the way this is uh, uh, playing out. Uh, we think EPA should have just stuck to their original plan, which was to not seek an appeal and to apply this thing nationwide and, and put it behind us. 
Yesterday, Senator Grassley told us he had reached out to the White House, reached out to Bill Barr, reached out to Larry Kudlow, and mm-hmm. he. this is what Senator Grassley had to say about how he looks at this now as we wait for a decision. So then, consequently, uh, you know, I was offended by the attempts to have the appeal uh, uh, the the appeal made. So then, uh, I don't know whether my letter or phone calls or anybody else's phone calls made any difference, but it's at least a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that they're going to put off for a couple weeks. So maybe they're rethinking what we told them. But how do you know in this business? Uh, if, if you convince the president of anything and he uh, did it because you said so, he's not going to let you know anyway. So I don't know where we are, but I'm satisfied that maybe we got some time to work on it. Okay, Jeff, so he's putting a positive spin on this delay, saying, obviously, uh, delay is better than the uh, an announcement that they were going to appeal. So let me let me float this out. We've kind of been talking about this on the program this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the president has looked for a way to appease both sides, the biofuels side and the oil side, on this uh, for, since uh, the president came into office. Could this be the path forward for trying to say to both sides, look, uh, he could say to the oil industry, I appealed the decision, but I lost. So I did what I could. And he could say to your side, uh, hey, I appealed it, but I, we didn't think we could win the appeal anyway. Uh, so, you know, we were, we knew it was going to turn out that the, the 10th Circuit Court ruling was going to stand uh, regardless of our yeah. appeal. It, is that a way to try to, you know, say to both sides, you know, we're, I'm trying to find well, a way I, for I, both I, of you? Yeah, I, I suppose it is, and we've heard that theory, and I, you know, I think uh, uh, Senator Ernst uh, reported that uh, a, a conversation she had with the president was kind of along those lines, but that, that just seems uh, like a completely, uh, you know, Machiavellian or, or almost kind of backward strategy to me. If if the administration knows uh, that this uh, appeal is is going to be unsuccessful and has almost zero chance of of proceeding. Uh, why in the world would would you want to attach your name to it? Um, you know, we think this is this is pretty pretty well cut and dried. Um, EPA lost. Uh, the you know the Tenth Circuit ruled very clearly and and unambiguously. Um, so let's abide by that decision and and let's move on. I I, I think um, you know the administration can go to the refiners and say, look, um, yet we have been trying for the last two years to to figure out some way of of, of you know limiting uh, rent prices and, and doing all these other things to help the refiners out, um, but the court has spoken here, and and now we have a decision that we must abide by. It's the law of the land. So um, we have heard that theory that that you know maybe they join the appeal knowing that it's going to fail and everybody wins, but that just seems like a uh, kind of convoluted uh, way of appeasing both sides to me. The other thing that really makes, I think, EPA look bad in this is that they've used now for quite a while the the justification of their granting of the waivers because of a court ruling. Well, now they have a court ruling saying they were doing it wrong, but they don't want to abide by that one. Yeah, that, that's right, Mike. And, and the irony there is it's the, it's the same court. It, it was a Tenth Circuit decision in the Sinclair versus EPA case in 2017 uh, that EPA hid behind uh, for the last few years to, to justify incorrectly 
um, the the massive increase in the in the waivers they were giving out. They didn't delay the decision to decide, you know, how they were going to interpret that. Um, when that decision came down, they they uh, implemented it uh, in a, in a way that we think was wrong to begin with. But they took that that court decision and ran with it. Um, we don't understand why they wouldn't do the same here, uh, especially when this one is is crystal clear. Uh, it was a unanimous decision from the three judge panel that looked at it. And it wasn't just the one issue that that the court found in our favor. It was it was multiple issues, three arguments. Uh, the the court agreed with us uh, on to to show that EPA has been acting illegally here. So um, it is very frustrating. It would have been great if EPA had just done what they said they were going to do initially, which is no appeal. Uh, we're going to take our medicine. We're going to apply this thing nationally, and we're going to we're going to get on with it. We just talked with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. He said. Hopefully that even if there is an appeal, the other part of that would be no granting of small refinery exemptions during the appeal process. That's another part of this. Uh, see what happens yep. there. Well, it is. And, and you know, again, the Tenth Circuit decision is the law of the land today. Uh, as we speak, it is the law of the land. And, and so unless and until it is overturned, um, EPA needs to comply uh, with the court decision. So, uh, we don't believe that EPA has, has any latitude uh, for approving any 2019 petitions that are pending. Uh, they either need to deny those petitions uh, to comply with the, the letter and spirit of the 10th Court decision, uh, or at the very least, they need to, to you know, suspend making any decisions on those petitions until this appeal process plays out. But, but we think you know, if EPA is going to comport with, with the law, uh, the law of the land is what the Tenth Circuit said, and, and so they ought to be denying uh, those pending petitions that are sitting on the desk at EPA today. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, this oil price plunge that we've seen and what's going on in the oil industry, how does that impact the ethanol industry? Well, it certainly doesn't help, Mike. I mean, when, when you've got a, a, a you know a $10 per barrel drop in oil prices in one day, um, it really stokes fears and, and anxiety in, in all of the markets, all the commodity markets. Um, as you know, you know, there's so much co-movement and co-variance amongst commodities today that when oil prices move uh, sharply one way or the other, uh, it, it, it often seems that the rest of the commodity complex is sort of along for the ride. And, and certainly we saw uh, ethanol prices under pressure yesterday. Um, I, I guess the, the silver lining is, of course, that you know, ethanol prices have been pegged to corn prices uh, much more tightly in the past decade um, and, and less so to, to oil prices. Uh, and we also know that, that refiners don't really use ethanol for its BTUs. They use it for its octane content, and that's going to remain necessary. And, and, and ethanol remains uh, quite a value and, and very economically competitive with other octane sources even with a 30 or $40 uh, oil price. So, um, you know, we don't really see this as uh, eroding uh, demand for ethanol in, in the near term, uh, but it certainly isn't a welcome development. And one other note uh, connected with the coronavirus, of course, we're being urged to wash our hands and use uh, the hand sanitizers. Did I see a story where ethanol is used to make these hand sanitizers yeah that's that's right mike if you look at the the little bottle of uh hand sanitizer that everybody's got in their briefcase or or purse these days 
seventy um, percent of that product on average is ethanol, um, and so you know most of that ethanol is coming from uh, facilities that make both fuel grade and industrial grade alcohol. Uh, so a number of our member companies are making uh, industrial grade alcohol, and a lot of that is going into uh, you know cosmetics and toiletries, and, and hand sanitizer is certainly one of those products, and we've seen a doubling in the demand for hand sanitizers here in the last month or so. Um, so that's a very small portion of the ethanol market, obviously, but uh, in this sort of market environment, any any little boost in demand is is welcome and helpful. Um, and so for those folks who are making industrial grade alcohol, um, they have seen uh, have seen their demand increase here in the last few weeks. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you. And now we, we wait out this two-week uh, delay and see what the administration does. Well, that's right, Mike. And, you know, we hope the administration takes this time, this extra time, to, to really carefully review that, that court decision. And we think if they do that, you know, cooler heads are going to prevail and, and they'll reach the natural conclusion that an appeal is just unnecessary and imprudent. So uh, hopefully that's where we end up, uh, but we're going to have to wait two weeks to, to know for sure. Seems like we're always waiting for that next decision. This is the latest in, that, uh, in a long line. Jeff, thanks a lot. Good to talk with it. you. Thank you, Mike. Jeff- Appreciate it. Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we're going to talk with the new president of the National Farmers Union, Rob LaRue. His uh, thoughts on the challenges for agriculture and the priorities for the National Farmers Union this year ahead. We'll get all that information next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams and we welcome the new president of the national farmers union rob larue rob congratulations thank you thank you very much mike obviously you're not new to farmers union but uh give us a little bit of your background and kind of help our audience get to know you a little bit Absolutely. So I'm uh, from a farm in West Virginia. Still have that farm, but haven't actually farmed it in a little while. We we rent out to a dairy farm down there in southern West Virginia. Uh, but I've been working for uh, Farmers Union for the last few years, uh, heading up their policy and communication work here. Um, and most of my career has actually been up on Capitol Hill, uh, serving as the staff director for the House Agriculture Committee, which really means just being on the inside there, putting farm bills together over the last several years. Well, you've just come off your national uh, meeting where uh, obviously the big news uh, for you uh, is that you were elected president. But uh, as far as the delegate session and, and kind of the priorities for the organization moving forward this year, what were some of those? Yeah, well, it's not going to come as a surprise to anybody involved in, in agriculture in the U.S. right now. But the the main themes that were really kind of stressed there had to do with, first and foremost, the farm economy, all the stresses around there right now. 
uh, whether it's uh, disaster-related, uh, which could be tied to climate change and what ways to kind of mitigate that, but also obviously things related to the uh, commodity markets, to dairy prices, um, and what can we do to kind of uh, strengthen markets, uh, strengthen the farm safety net. And, um, uh, you know, like most farmers, uh, there's, uh, there's hope uh, for uh, things being better this year, uh, but we're certainly doing things, um, pushing for policy that uh, will be a backstop uh, because we're going to be in this kind of uh, stress, I think, uh, for for the foreseeable future right now. Uh, even as we hope for better weather and so forth, I think commodity prices uh, will remain kind of stagnant. And so what can we do to make sure that we have uh, programs in place uh, to keep farmers on the land? On the climate change issue, what do your delegates want to see as far as policies that would impact agriculture concerns? Yeah, so, you know, obviously farmers are some of the first, right, to feel the impacts of uh, changing weather patterns and so forth. And so Farmers Union has uh, been engaged in this space for a long time. I, you know, our view is we want to make sure that farmers have a seat at the table, um, that as policies come uh, to bear, that uh, we have a big voice in that. And so that's very much where uh, we're coming from on that. That continues right now. As part of that, uh, we certainly support uh, conservation programs, uh, USDA programs that have been really beneficial, uh, support anything that uh, promotes the use of uh, soil health uh, uh, initiatives, whether that's cover crops, et cetera. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, recognizing the beneficial uh, elements in many ways of uh, biofuels. And so, all of that together is uh, really for Farmers Union members is a, a strong message on ways that farmers and rural communities can certainly help uh, with climate. Well, speaking of biofuels, our, much of our program today has been about uh, this uh, delay that the administration has now been granted to make a decision on complying with the Tenth Circuit ruling on small refinery exemptions. Are you concerned that they're going to appeal that decision? Well, uh, uh, Farmers Union was, uh, you know, very proud to, to join the kind of the, the legal effort to push uh, the court system to uh, have EPA review this. And, of course, we were pleased with the decision that came out uh, saying that, uh, uh, that EPA had not done things properly here. Uh, initially, we thought that EPA was going to accept that court decision. Uh, but as you stated, uh, they're now... Uh, taking some time to review that to see whether or not they are going to appeal. Uh, we certainly hope that they will continue to uh, heed the advice that we think comes out of the White House, which is very strong support for biofuels, and that they will uh, rethink any decision to appeal and accept the, uh, the 10th Circuit Court's decision on this. So we wait now for that uh, for the two-week delay and see what the administration will do. What are your thoughts on MFP payments? A lot of speculation there'll be another round this year. <laughs> well, it really depends on what tweet you're reading or, or who you're listening to speaking at uh, any of the conferences around here. Uh, we're getting a lot of mixed signals uh, on whether or not there will be help or not. Uh, certainly the, the president has said if help is needed, uh, it will be there. We take him at his word. Uh, Farmers Union, though, has been pushing um, since the very beginning of these MFP payments uh, to have the administration, USDA, work more closely, uh, actually work with um, the House and Senate uh, to, to do this in a way that uh, has all the input here uh, that is 
done hopefully in a little bit more uh, transparent manner. Uh, really, the big issue that we have is that most of these payments have been done in a way that farmers can't predict, uh, not just predict whether or not they're going to be there, but understand what they might look like and how they'll operate. And so having a program that is a lot more transparent, that brings some certainty, uh, would certainly be a welcome change, I think, to, to farmers out there. And I'm sure that another of your priorities this year, when you look at your goals, it's the ongoing effort. I know you've worked with Farm Bureau and others to address the opioid crisis in this country and issues such as uh, mental health concerns for those in agriculture. Yeah, it, it continues to be a, a huge issue, but, you know, farmers, uh, certainly as members of important members of the rural communities, understands the importance of checking in on your neighbors and understanding uh, that mental health is, is critically important. Obviously, rural America also faces a shortage of, of help uh, in this area. So uh, what we have been focused on, along with Farm Bureau, uh, with the help of Farm Credit, has been doing training uh, at our convention. We trained a number of folks uh, in looking for the signs of uh, mental health stress, uh, looking for the signs of uh, suicide so that we can prevent uh, tragic stories uh, that we're seeing too often out there. Uh, again, I think the stresses are going to continue. Um, so everything that we can do to make sure that we have folks trained to be able to address it in rural America is important. All right, Rob, good to talk with you again. Congratulations. We look forward to talking with you often in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Rob LaRue, new president of the National Farmers Union. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.